0: to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions.
1: thinking and dealing with change can all be really difficult for people on the autism spectrum. Critical Core provides a safe and fun environment to develop these skills and it naturally taps into each child's inner drive.
2: Playing Critical Core has helped me reduce my anger a lot and it helps me understand how other people feel.
3: After playing Critical Core I have been able to understand people better and feel like I'm able to listen to others easier.
0: After playing Critical Core, he is happier. Um, I remember the very first time he sat at the circle and he said, that was awesome, that was the best hour and a half I ever had.
3: We see our son come home with a smile on his face.
2: Role-playing games have been the cornerstone of our therapy work for the past seven years, helping teens and adolescents build valuable social skills. And now we're ready to bring the amazing therapeutic benefits of intentional gaming to a wider audience with Critical Core. game to grow is a nonprofit organization and every dollar from this project will go towards producing the game and then training and supporting the families and organizations who need it the most. And Critical Core is not just for autism. It's a great tool to introduce the creative and social benefits of role playing games to everyone. So please be a part of Critical Core and help us spread the positive impact of role playing games. Your help is essential. So pledge now.
0: Hello, I am Daria Brown coming at you today with a podcast that Virginia Spielman and I have discussed doing for at least two years now about critical core a tabletop role playing game scaffolded around the DIR floor time model, so I am thrilled to have the director of critical core Virginia here and game to Grow's founders Adam Davis and Adam john's welcome.
2: Thanks so much for for having us. us.
0: So games to grow is a nonprofit organization in Kirkland, Washington, just outside of Seattle. And Critical Core, as you saw in the introduction, invites children to share a world of fantasy consequence and social problem solving. And as you said in the video, Adam, it is accessible to those like me who know nothing about role-playing games. Um, I thought I would just read a little blurb from your website Uh, Critical Core combines modern modern developmental therapies with the mechanics of tabletop role-playing games to help kids connect with their parents, their friends, and the world around them. Players learn about communication and collaboration skills, develop frustration, tolerance, and emotional resilience, and build empathy for others, all while rolling dice and having fun. And as you saw in that YouTube video, it's also a place that allows players to take risks and discover who they are. And I also learned that RPG stands for Role-Playing Game. So this is fabulous. Um, whose idea was it and how was it developed?
3: I, th- I think it's it's largely safe to say that at least the idea was presented to us from Virginia. It was an but email. We all, sort
1: of, <laughs> we all sort of had the idea at the same time in different parts of the world, really. Um, but yeah, I stalked these guys um, for a while after um, Realizing the potential of um, t- tabletop role-playing games um, through trying to support my son with his social anxiety. But yeah, I, these 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 two geniuses were already, and they're here on my screen. They were already, you know, thinking along these lines. They were already doing the work and wondering how can we bottle this. Um, so it has a fun origin story because. You know, it was a a lot of people's brains at the same time, which I think is usually a sign that we should do something. (laughs) So So, as I as I
0: understand it, Adam and Adam, you have been doing this type of work for about seven years. And so do you want to describe a little bit about the history?
2: It was seven years when that video was made. Um, now, now it's it's over a decade, actually. Adam, Adam and I started, uh, Adam Johns and I started using tabletop role-playing games to help kids become more socially confident. Um, uh, 2011, I think it was, uh, early 2011. And we sort of discovered this, the benefits of this, like a lot of us did, sort of on accident, um, made this discovery and the connection that tabletop role-playing games were this really amazing opportunity to help young people connect in a way that didn't feel like a social skills training program. Um, and so we started a small for-profit company, just the two of us called Wheelhouse Workshop. We ran that for a few years um, before we got rid of the email from Virginia. And as, as two people running a small organization, we could we could serve a, a certain number of youth every week Uh, that Adam and I could could help while we were both had full time other jobs. I was a full time classroom teacher and Adam Johns was a full time independent uh, individual counselor. So we had our full time jobs and we're trying to build this system uh, where we could help kids and, and youth really, I say kids, but I mean youth up to the early 20s. We, but we we were struggling figuring out how we could expand larger than just what the two of us could do. And then we received this email from Virginia and I I should really find it and print it out and put it on the wall because it really was the beginning of Critical Core.
3: So uh, Virginia sends us this, this email. And in the meantime, Adam and I are looking into the possibility of, of shifting and changing into a nonprofit so that we can take, take and do more with our model. And it was such a, a great Confluence. It was such a great uh, opportunity. Now we can the, the whole goal, the whole reason that we shifted into a nonprofit is that we believe in the mission. We believe in the idea that these games can be a powerful tool, a powerful opportunity for growth, for for human connection uh, in so many important ways. And um, the the email from Virginia and getting started with Critical Core was also this this perfect opportunity to say we can create something that we can we can give we can get out into the world and help way more people both play role playing games which we see as a a tremendously valuable opportunity to connect with people on a on a wonderful human level and with with fun and engaging engagement but also then to to bring that model of intentional use of these kinds of games for for helping to encourage that, that sort of positive growth and change
0: Well, I know that my husband has been involved in role playing games since he was a child. It is his life. He owns a game store in town now he is currently somewhere filming a Warhammer 40k video for YouTube with a friend of his who has a YouTube channel. He's the coach of Team Canada Warhammer. Um, He's Full on in, and I know nothing about these games. But what I do know is that he's been waiting for the day that our son will be able to participate and experience the benefits of it. Because um, you know, I've I've heard him say that it really helped him get through a lot of hard times as a kid. He moved around every few years, and he's very introverted and and quiet. But it helped bring him out of his shell too, and he has you know lifelong friends from from playing these games. So i'm I'm very aware of the benefits of it for sure, but I would love to um hear from you, Virginia, about how d i r floor time informed the creation of this game, which is sort of where you and I originally connected through our interest in d i r floor time
1: yeah and i I think one of the things i want to emphasize as I start to answer this question is that um this um, modality for supporting social confidence in young people um, is a natural fit. There's no forcing, it's not, um, it's not, uh, it's also not teaching, it's, it's an alternative really to traditional social skills trainings because it's play for play's sake. And that's one of the first ways that I think it uh, resonates so strongly with the DIR floor time model. Um, And a lot of what we do, and we're trying to do better all the time and articulate better all the time, is about providing a safe space and facilitating the participants in their own ideas. So it's child-led in that sense, which is another way that it really resonates with DIR floor time. So the, the children in the group, there isn't really a wrong idea. And even if it's like really scary, perhaps to an adult, you know, that, that they might want to explore this or that aspect of their character, if you're going to do it anywhere, do it in your critical crawl game and, you know, figure that out. And again, like that, that, that sort of, I think resonates with some of the ways that DIR was designed around psychotherapy. Um, I always remember, um, Oh, gosh, now I can't even think of the name of the book, but the, the, the story of Stanley Greenspan telling the parent to let their child keep um, drowning the baby in the bath. Like, just let them do it. Let them do it. See what happens. See what happens. And eventually this child rescues the baby and eventually this child becomes nurturing towards the baby. But they had to work through um, that play scheme over a lot of time to really figure that out and so you know we have built into the framework of critical core um, a a roughly developmental approach we're not trying to be linear we're not trying to force children to meet certain milestones but what we've got is a framework or some scaffolding for the the adults applying the game that really is going to the idea is you know here's the space you're going to create for this child because they're currently working on impulse control or executive function or um, perspective taking um, we, so so it's developmental in that sense it's child-led we we're hoping to be more and more intentional about supporting each child's individual difference you know and that's a lot about resources of the person running the game but you know we're we're all you know we're we're a bit I would say it's covertly suggested at the moment but you know and in some places more explicitly so but provide a trampoline let them go for a walk you know what can you do in your space that's an environmental modification and accommodation as well as changing how you use yourself and then, of course, it's relationship-based. And, and one of the things we want most is authentic, sincere relationships to form in the room. And and what was so interesting when I first met Adam and Adam, which was September 2017, the, the September the 27th, I think, 2017, um, was that um, we were saying the same things, but I was using DIR floor time jargon and Adam Davis was using um, drama therapy language and Adam Johns was using uh, marriage and family therapy language. And, but we were, we, there was so much synchrony and it was, it was profound, really. It was very, very natural. I hope that answers your question.
0: It does. And I loved a quote on your Kickstarter page uh, from a player called Nick who said, since i started playing i think through stuff a lot more which is funny because in the game my character is kind of reckless (laughs) so that really brings to light i think the point you were trying to make virginia which is what we talk about in in floor time is you know let the children explore uh their emotions and and it's so it's it seems instinctual for parents to say don't drown the baby or don't shoot those people or don't blow up (laughs) that thing because it's wrong kind of thing. But in play, you know, there are no, there should be no consequences in play because that's how you figure out things in the real world. So I, I, I like that point that you made. Um, and I, I'm curious to hear more from Adam or Adam about the facilitator's role, because it, it says that, um, you know, you've made it accessible to people who have never played Played role play role-playing games. But it also is a tool for gamers as well. So um, people like my husband, I, I, I will get him on this once. Uh, I, I think he'll be motivated once our son is ready. Um, and you mentioned that it aligns uh, their games to provide specific support to autistic players supported by the methods and strategies used by experts in the field. So maybe you could talk a, a little bit about that because not everybody will know that the rule set is adapted and streamlined from D and D's fifth edition Open SRD. I have no idea what that means, but <laughs> yeah. my husband would. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the facilitator's role. And Virginia alluded to that a bit about how there can be so much variation.
3: I, I think one of the things that that is is maybe so amazing about this, and one of the things that that uh, all of us kind of discovered at the same time was if you're a person who has played role-playing games and you propose the idea that like role-playing games are great for your social enhancement uh if you talk about that with anybody who plays role-playing games they, they pretty much will all say oh yeah of course uh because they know that it's already a social game it's already a game where you're where you're telling stories and, and building collaboration together and those things are are almost immediately obvious uh to the people who are deep-seated who are who are really familiar with um, with role-playing games and who play them regularly. And one of the things that we really wanted to do was to emphasize and create a rule set and create you know, guidance for somebody who really has no idea what this looks like, who has no idea how to jump in, how to play something like this, and can uh, create that, make it more approachable and allowable. And at its core, what role-playing games are is that they are a chance to tell a story. Which, you know, Virginia, your, your example is so spot on because it's really about uh, the, the kinds of stories that, that kids play, the kinds of games and, and play experiences that kids have where they're playing house or they're playing, you know, playing with toys and they're telling stories sometimes about their life. And in many ways, the foundation, the, the rule sets and the rules that are built into Critical Core are there for the facilitator, for the adult much more than they are for the for the participants at the table they're there to help the adult feel like there are rules to this world and there are things that they can do because that is a lot of the anxiety that we need to need to have and we, we need to we need to relieve uh for an adult to be able to to enter into some of that play space and obviously there are benefits to having Rules and boundaries that are also important parts for for the players to learn about. But in many ways, those rules are are there to help the facilitator. The brand new facilitator doesn't doesn't quite know what they're what they're doing just yet to help them feel more comfortable stepping into that role and stepping into the the space where they can be playful um, with the players at the table.
2: So as we designed Critical Core, we were we were looking at it as a beginner's box to use the language from a lot of the other. Big name uh, role playing games out there. We're looking at it to become something that was accessible to not just neurodivergent players, but also brand new facilitators. So, um, around the same time that we were we were forming Critical Core as this sort of nascent idea, uh, uh, Game to Grow was. Uh, presenting keynote presenters, actually, at the Washington Association of Marriage and Family Therapy. And we gave a presentation to an auditorium full of therapists about the life-enriching magic of tabletop role-playing games. And then they came up to us afterwards and said, wow, this is amazing. Uh, you you told stories about growth, and I want to do that. How, how do I get into this? And before Critical Core existed, our advice was, well, go to your game store and uh, buy a game that sounds fun to you and then play it for, I don't know, six months uh, to learn the game and get good at it and maybe find some friends that will play with you. And then uh, after a while you play it, then, then you become a leader of the game and then, and then you find a way somehow to incorporate that into your therapy practice. And that'll take you about a year before we had a training program through game 2 Grow. And so what we realized at that moment, the part of our goal for Critical Core was to access that population of of therapists who really wanted to use more play, wanted to use more of a, a, a stru- semi-structured narrative social play activity instead of a sandbox or, or something that seemed really unstructured. Like Adam said, giving the facilitator a tool set that would help them feel empowered to leverage the use of play in their, in their practice. So Critical Core, like I said, that the rule set is simplified for, brand new players, but really also for brand new facilitators, though, the point of the game is to take that six month, nine month, year long period that therapists might need to learn how to play a tabletop role playing game and sort of cut out the middleman and help them go from being having never played the game before to being able to implement the game in a way to get the sort of social flourishing and building the social confidence in their group pretty quickly. Um, So hopefully someone can pick up the game, open it up and play. 15 minutes later, maybe even uh, that's, that's the goal for critical core.
0: Yeah, this, this sounds great. Um, I, what I'm curious about is the, the level at which it's played. So I know the quick facts on your quick starter page said it's suitable for cognitive age nine plus, including teens and adults and that players must have basic listening and verbalization skills. So, Virginia, what would you say? Where does that fit in that functional, emotional, developmental capacity um, ladder that we use in floor time?
1: Uh, I'm wishing we could rewrite that language as I hear you saying it, because it sounds <laughs> it doesn't uh, we're, we're learning all the time and we're improving our use of language all the time so that we're neurodiversity affirming and that that is something we will change real soon that language <laughs> um, you know what we the, anyone with who can communicate first of all so we more and more we want to, to figure out how to enable our players who use alternative means of communications so something I'm particularly passionate about um, Uh, With regards to the functional, emotional, developmental capacities, so, you know, in in floor time we have these sort of six and then nine and then 16 capacities that Mm -hmm. some people apply in quite a linear way um, and some people less so um, because you Mm -hmm. can have uh, these different developmental trajectories we're finding more and more Our, in critical core, we also have um, something that we call capacities, core capacities, Um, and uh, they're based on the FEDCs, but we're trying not to apply them in that linear way. So I wouldn't like to say like we need someone to be at FEDC 7, Like we need, you know, capacity six, pretend play. If they're not at that, don't bother. I wouldn't like to say that because they could, I've seen children come in who struggle so much with pretend play and within the environment of critical core, find themselves and find that ability to pretend and be symbolic in their thinking it might take a while but they get there and I think sometimes that's because the rules provide that structure at first you know and so on I think you do need to have a a basic ability to be regulated in a room with other people I think that's you know you need to be able to tolerate other people and uh, hopefully if you're in the right place we can help that tolerance or enduring other people become joy and joyful connection Um, but if you can't be with an activity for more than 15, 20 minutes, or you can't be with other people, there's some other skills you probably need to work on first before you're ready for a game like this. Um, and following a basic story as well. And again, like that's a skill that grows hugely within the setting of critical core. But if, words are boring and stories are meaningless and you know you're still stuck in sensory motor play cause and effect play it's not the right fit for you quite yet does that make sense like and I, I'm always really annoying because I don't give simple answers but <laughs> um you know we have we actually I think this discussion was happening this week like ah people are asking us to put an age on this yeah and it's just it's not that black and white so
3: yeah, I mean, one of the really interesting parts about this is is the the play orientation of the of the game being about storytelling and being about uh, collaboration in in that aspect um, lends a lot of opportunity for it to be adjusted for a lot of different ages. And so there's a big part of part of this that is we want to say we want to give people a clear guideline. You know, would this be appropriate to play with your? With your kids, or would this be appropriate to play in your practice, uh, so that you have an idea like, is this is this going to be helpful for me? Um, and and in that way, you know, using using age or using you know the the, the definitions that the Virginia gave are, I suppose, an okay way to go about it. But we also have seen great and tremendous uh, growth and opportunity from facilitators who are using it with. Um, who are using uh, role-playing games in general and in some cases very specifically critical core with very young audiences with uh, audiences with uh, uh, kids and players that have a, a tremendously wide uh, set of, of um, various, various uh, 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 challenges they're bringing in uh, for themselves and so one of the really interesting parts about it is that we really want to encourage if you're a facilitator if you're if you're running a group and you've got a group of kids that are able to to um, interact and be in a room together you know their their particular challenges may be able to be scaffolded to be adjusted and that's a lot of what we designed the game to be able to help accommodate for
0: so i'm just thinking on the spot here i i'm pretty sure my son at age 12 would not be ready for this type of game yet but i'll i'll just give lay out a scenario and then you can sort of Let me know what you think. So he has moved, he's developmentally jumped quite a bit since the start of the pandemic. He is able to sort of sit in a room with friends around some kind of activity if it remains engaging to him. The second it's not, he's out of there. So he is obsessed with Mario Kart and all Mario video games right now, which he just learned for the first time over the pandemic so would he be able to like if like um i i don't know how the game starts but say you have to pick a character he would say i want to be bowser or toad or something like that is it that adaptable where you can gear it to because his other friend might want to be um cat boy from pj masks like they're still in that idea like they're they're not necessarily coming up with their own idea of a character, Mm -hmm. but they're still referring to what show they like or what game they like.
2: There is a great big smile on my face because this is one of my favorite things. Um, What what, what we're doing, you you asked the question earlier about the, the, facilitators role here. And so much of our facilitator role, oftentimes it's an adult um, whose job it is largely is to be enthusiastic about the things that the youth are enthusiastic about in order to make relationships there. So if if a young person comes in, maybe has never had an experience of an adult being authentically excited about the things that they're excited about, and a youth comes in and says, can I be Bowser, have a facilitator to lean forward with eyebrows up and say, Yes, you can be Bowser, of course you can be Bowser. Tell me about Bowser. And then op- open that conversation up to what what excites them about being Bowser and then find a way to fold that into the game in a meaningful way. That That is the, the magic of what we're doing is cultivating that enthusiasm for the shared interest and excitement for that narrative. So now Bowser is a character that that a young person can now control and, and swing their tail around and maybe breathe fire, whatever these things are that excite them about Bowser. Maybe Bowser is unapologetic maybe bowser is someone who takes what they want from the world and there's an aspirational quality to playing bowser and then we can explore that and experience what it feels like to be unapologetic and to not worry about what other people think all the time and and be that character for just maybe 90 minutes a week maybe 25 minutes a week whatever that is and then translate that experience back into their real life that's one of the most magical things right there i think is is that flexibility that the game can provide the game master, the facilitator has to be willing to do that. And that's part of the, the the tools we want to provide with a game like Critical Core is the flexibility for the game master to be able to shift and meet the, the needs and interests uh, as the as the game evolves to meet those.
3: From the from the perspective of, of um, maybe putting it in terms of, of another game, uh, like another board game uh, or experience, because the the foundation of any role playing game, and certainly true for Critical Core, is telling a story, uh, not necessarily following the rules explicitly or trying to get mm-hmm. to a, a specific goal outcome. If you imagine that you're playing um, Monopoly, which is a game that Adam and I often talk about as being kind of a terrible game, um, and and if you imagine you're playing Monopoly and you're playing Monopoly with with uh, say say your son, uh, he he might not be interested in playing, you know, cards and reading off things and buying properties, but he might be interested in playing with the little car and driving it around the, the board because that is a fun imagination experience and it's similar to Mario Kart. And you might play Monopoly with him, but you're not really playing Monopoly. You are the Monopoly, the board, the pieces are just a way for you to engage in the play experience. And I would say the same thing would be true here. Um, which is that we we designed a game with the intent that you will break the break the game, that you will throw out rules, that you will adjust it to the needs of the players that are attending your game. And if what they want to do is they want to play, you know, with characters from PJ Masks and they want to uh, go after Night Ninja, then then your opportunity here is to to go great. Uh, let's make up a story, and you're going to play the characters from PJ Masks, and and we'll use the most basic foundations of this, maybe we'll roll some dice, just as a way of helping to introduce the idea of randomness uh, within this, that, that, you know, high dice rolls might mean something and low dice rolls might, might mean something else. And, and, and give you kind of the tools at the most basic level of, of yes, you can adjust this game. And, and it's, it's got rules to go, to go up from there. So if you if you want more strict rules, if you want to start introducing, you know, really strict strict, here's how spells work. Uh, you're in you're in a specific magical world and and here's what exists in the world. You can, but you don't have to. You can strip out whatever you need from the game so that it can be the game that you can play with the group that you have.
0: And I don't know if you were going to add to that or not, Virginia, but I, my comment was just going to be Like, it it sounds to me like it really is all about the facilitator.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was thinking it's a a lot of when you're when you're incorporating Bowser, it does become about the skill of the facilitator. It's all about the children. But the more you want to make it about the children, I do think that's where a bit of skill comes in for the facilitator, because working with children. you know, my, my current catchphrase is about the convenient classroom, right? And, and when we focus on the convenient classroom, we're not thinking about the adult that this child is going to become. And so what we, what, one of the phrases I use to describe a critical core group or, or a affinity group or a play-based group like this is therapeutic chaos. And so you have to actually be comfortable with a little bit of that therapeutic chaos. And like Adam and Adam, like they could be neck deep in therapeutic chaos and they'd still be thriving because they're exceptional facilitators. Um, And so I, you know, I think that's what we want to aspire to. And I, and I think aspiring to spontaneity and chaos in the therapy setting is the direction people need to be going in. But I still hear clinicians going, oh, we don't just let things bubble up in sessions, you know, and it's like, but Wait, you work with humans, right? You know, so um, I, you know, I, I think if you were, if you're completely green and it's the first time you've ever opened a critical core box, you're probably yourself as the, as the facilitator going to be a little bit more rigid about the rules in the box and the character sheets provided. But, I mean, you know, maybe we should have a, a, a red card that's the first thing you see when you open the box that says we made the rules so you can break the rules because, that is that really is the idea and 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 when so it's all about the children but the facilitator needs to be skilled enough and chilled enough to relax about the rules
2: and we we talk about this in the critical core book a little bit there's there's something we're building on from uh from other types of of role-playing games was sometimes called the rule of cool uh and that is this this Offering to a game master that they can bend or break whatever rules are necessary to make the Make the scene or the moment in the story cool or awesome or some sort of positive adjective like that Um, We shifted that in critical core and we have what we call the enthusiasm doctrine That says whatever we need we can bend or break whatever rules are necessary to cultivate Enthusiasm because our goal in playing critical core is that authentic relational social play and anything that gets in the way of that Those rules should be discarded and maybe we can add in more rules we want our players to lean in. You were talking about the, the skill of the facilitator, and I realized that I maybe misspoke a little bit earlier in, in describing the Bowser. That's my favorite thing to do. Um, it is a sort of a higher level uh, facilitator technique to be able to just bend or break the rules to the extent that we're now playing a Mario Mario Kart themed game. Um, so in, in the Critical Core box set, we actually have stories that are pre-written. For brand new facilitators, so someone opening the box doesn't have to make up a world or a story from scratch. We actually have uh, in in the this rule set box of Critical Core, we've got a rule a basic rule set, which is a simplified role playing game. Then there's also the facilitator's guide, and that part can be adapted or modified to other games outside of Critical Core. Um, then there's also the modules, the stories that that the story t- that the game takes place in, and those stories are written such that they're, they they ideally can be run without too much uh, study ahead of time. Uh, they can be run with the players. And in those stories, every single scene is aligned with what Virginia was talking about earlier, those critical core capacities. So we, we are, where it's not a skills-based training program, there's no teaching, but we still look at opportunities to build uh, the core capacities at, at different times in the, in the game and the different way that the story can benefit or provide an opportunity to practice and reflect on those capacities.
0: Do you guys offer training for facilitators for this game specifically or role-playing games in general
2: game to girl has a, a full training program we have a training program for therapists and for educators and for community members so we have a training program for therapists where it's really aligned with treatment goals and outcomes we have a, a training program for educators which is looking more at classroom some auxiliary activities but ways to, to leverage the Life enriching magic of tabletop role playing games in a classroom or educational setting. So some sometimes an after school program or before school, but sometimes straight up a history teacher and how they want to leverage games to support their learning outcomes. And then also the third training program uh, for community members is for people using the game in maybe recreational settings. Maybe it's a game store. Maybe it's a family who aren't really looking at the sort of treatment outcomes from therapists more at. Uh, just generally building their community situation, uh, inc- incorporating people's abilities to connect with each other.
0: And would that be here under training? Yes. On the website. Yeah. So I'll direct people to that at the blog post. For those that are listening on mm-hmm. audio, I'm showing the gametogrow.org website, and you can see there's a training menu.
1: And I just want to trainees- add, like, I, sorry, Adam.
2: That's okay. Go ahead, Virginia.
1: Well I have like I've no conflict of interest in many ways with the game to grow stuff because I have benefited financially in the minus not the plus um, <laughs> but so I don't get any kickback for saying this but um, it is exceptional training and it's really um, you hear the um sort of responses from trainees and they do feel equipped to really do this and take it on. They feel excited. Um, It's very, very thoughtfully put together. It's not just based on experience, but they, you know, they've got psychologists on their team who are are really wonderful uh, clinicians. And so I, 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 I can't wait till I can do it. I just have to find the time and I'm always sending people over to do it. I think it's very high quality.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I'll definitely put links to that um, on the blog post for sure. So just along the lines of the, quote unquote, social skills, which I know Virginia and I will cringe because, you know, it's not about teaching social skills, but really about how to learn how to interact with other people successfully and how to communicate. and, And these kinds of things can't be taught. They have to be experienced. So let's talk a little bit more about that. We we introduced it a little bit with that quote from Nick from the YouTube video and um, what he said. You know, his player was kind of reckless, but in real life, he was much more thoughtful. What kinds of things have you guys seen from kids, teens, in young adults in your play
2: groups? I, I mean, yeah, there I are such great
1: it. stories. Yeah,
0: sorry. <laughs> I'm
2: just. Gonna, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm was, gonna, I was. Gonna... I was. Gonna... <laughs>
1: We like each other too much. It's a problem. You go. You go. (laughs) Uh.
2: Um,
1: I'm not going to share a story, but I, I, you know, one of the things I want to just add is um, we use the word learning in the sense that that's the purpose of play, that it's that that self actualization sense of the word learning, and we use the functional, emotional, the core capacity pieces. As a way of structuring it, again, for the facilitator, because so many of the children and the young people that come into critical core settings have been deprived of opportunities where their communication styles were honored and where there was work that needed to go both ways. And so much labor is put on the autistic child to learn socially appropriate, duh, 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 whatever, interaction skills. And that's, this is not that. This is not that. And so this is a space where the, the labor is on everyone equally, if not mostly on the facilitator to, to find that attunement and then to provide that space where there's play and repetition in a regulated way so that that child can grow as their authentic selves rather than be shaped or steered or um, molded into a certain way. Um, I just wanted to add that.
3: Yeah, in in say a game to grow group, uh, our our goals are often usually we have specific goals. We 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 touch base with the parents, often with a with a therapist or a teacher to say what are the what are the goals that we're hoping to accomplish. But in many ways, the goals across all of the groups are very similar, which is that we want to help develop an appreciation for socialization in most of our players. And we have a lot of players that are attending groups that are socially isolated. They they don't have a lot of friend groups. Some of them have have never had a friend that has never been a a part of their life. Um, And if we can provide an opportunity for them to have a space that they enjoy coming to once a week, that is a social experience, and that they, in that social experience, get a chance to try out Different approaches get a chance to try out different things. They feel safe enough to test the waters in many different ways, so that we can, and that, and they can keep coming back, um, even when when there are missteps in in some of those trials. Uh, that that is mm-hmm. that is a, a huge part of our goal. That is a huge part of of what we want. And in many ways, the the golden. A uh, 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 sort of um, a goal. the 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 real the real um, nugget at the end of this is if we can get a, a player to exchange a phone number with another player and hang mm-hmm. out outside of sessions. That's that's really what we're trying to get to is to give them the opportunity and appreciation of what it is to be social, what it is to have friends and have people that that like you for who you are, that want to be around you, um, and that you have now have an opportunity to go do that. And you don't necessarily need to come to our group in order to, to now have that experience. So in many ways, that's that's really what we're aiming for. And we really wanna create the play space uh, for you to then work on the skills necessary for you to get to that.
2: We've had some parents say that coming to game to grow groups or playing critical core is like eating their vegetables without knowing they're eating their vegetables. Um, so it's not it's not an instruction method. And a lot of the youth that, that come to groups like this have been in social skills training programs for for years and years and years. and I, I, Virginia was saying, our language has evolved watching that video. I was kind of cringing because I think we say social skills in that video. and our language has evolved so much since that video was made. because what we're doing really is is an, an alternative to social skills training programs where, like Virginia said, the the burden is so much on a young autistic person to camouflage to to wear a neurotypical mask and to fit in. And that can be just micro trauma after micro trauma after Mm -hmm. micro trauma, that just doesn't help them feel in any way prepared to authentically relate and socially flourish the way that we want them to socially flourish. So a lot of social skills training programs for our youth have helped them function but not flourish they they know how to fit in they know how to go to the bank teller they know how to go to the grocery store but not quite a way that helps them have meaningful social relationships and a lot of the youth that we work with tend to be around the middle school age which is where a lot of young young individuals get sort of noticed for needing a little bit of social support. Um, so some of them have been in, in a social skills training program for a few years before they come to a, a game to grow group. And a lot of them are also victims of, of peer victimization. A lot of them get bullied at middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my master's thesis was about was on bullying and, and you can't always stop the bullying at school when we're playing critical core, right? I can't do anything about the school setting, but we can do is help them build relationships and build support networks. And the research will show you that regardless of the amount of peer victimization that happens at school, if you have a social network, if you have a friend, the actual long-term impact of that peer victimization reduces. So what we're doing by providing them friendships and relationships is not just, you know, a momentary burst of fun, although those can be intensely therapeutic as well. What we're looking at here is really the long-term impact of helping people actually understand and recognize the benefits of having other people in their lives. Um, It's really one of those things that can be immensely transformative. Like Adam was saying that there are a lot of the youth that have never had a friend before, who've never had much less a, a best friend, but had somebody that they appreciated. And we've seen youth go from having never been invited to a party um, to being invited to a social outing, host their own social outing, and then they invite everyone else from the table, uh, from our gaming table to their house over the weekend. And then we, they'll report back the next week and talk about what they did. And sometimes it goes well, and sometimes they struggle because they're still building this this uh, framework for understanding how to connect with each other without a facilitated experience. But that attempt is worth so much more. The the uh, The desire to continue having more social contact. I've had groups that we know we'll take a break for the summer Uh, so this was back when we were in person and i had a group that that stopped for the summer so it was the end of the springtime and this group of teenagers teenage boys uh, stood up from the table their parents are outside they're kind of waiting they know that walking out that door means they get into mom and dad's car but they're sitting there and they're staring at each other and there's a moment of silence and we're all kind of just recognizing this interpersonal connection and one of them says i'm gonna miss you guys And then the other one said, I'm going to miss you guys too. And then they hugged. And that's magic right there. That is magic. Uh, You know, and I'm not, I'm not going to say we have, uh, we, we do have data, we have success stories that involve checked boxes and surveys and things like that too. But those moments right there that were, were witnessed by, by a group of humans, uh, all recognizing the inherent social validity of the other humans is, is magic. And that's something that I will, I will, I will yell from the mountaintops about those moments as the benefits of the work that we do with Critical Core.
0: Do you find ever that when some of these kids come to your group and maybe they are apprehensive because oh, another one of these social skills groups i'm being brought to do you see that transformation of ah, I feel at home here, these are my people.
2: <laughs> we do get a fair amount of youth who are misfits you know they don't fit in they they like the things that they like there's a a big overlap between the kids we see and people who love superheroes or anime or video games or whatever it is and sometimes they are marginalized at school we also have young people who are marginalized for other reasons so there's oftentimes a sense that they don't fit in or don't connect with people so then coming to a group of other misfits other other you know people on the margins i think is is a great opportunity for them to connect with each other there too
3: one of the one of the things that I think just makes this model so so wonderful is actually the the moment in the very first game where we get them playing right off the bat. We get them uh, jumping in and pretending to be a character, and and um, one of the very first things that happens in in the town of Tusk, which is the first module in Critical Core, is that they meet a soup maven named uh, Seamus. Uh, and he serves soup at a soup tavern called the best soup tavern in town. And uh, as they come in and you play Seamus and you speak in a funny voice to them, and you go, Oh, hey, what can I do for you today? And and you be Seamus in that moment, and they they'll give you a look and they'll they'll go, I want, I want a soup. And Seamus will go, Oh, what, what kind of soup for you? And they'll go, Nothing soup. And Seamus will go, Nothing soup! I love nothing soup. It's so light and airy. And the play orientation suddenly is like, I'm not here. They're not telling me how to make contact or make eye contact or, or mm-hmm. how to shake hands. I'm like talking to this guy and he's got a funny voice. And, and like, this is pretty interesting. <laughs> this is pretty fun. Um, and it, it evolves from there. The, the moment where they realize this is a fun thing for them to come to is, is absolutely uh, a, a joyous moment for me to see as a, as yeah. a facilitator. Um, it's one of my favorite parts of of the job, uh, is is getting to show somebody who's been to lots of social sk- social skills groups uh, that like no we can be social and just have a fun time and that can be beneficial that can be helpful for you.
0: Do you guys do birthday parties? <laughs>
3: we haven't
2: yet we've have been we've we had do several requests yeah. several requests for birthday parties
1: i know i know a 14 year old who'd do some birthday parties yeah. um i i i just want to add like i think um you know we do i have seen time and time again children young people with therapy fatigue come into the room because they've been told to and then i get the email from the parents saying oh my gosh, they've been reminding me all week not to forget about the next session. What are you doing in there? And so that's great because that therapy fatigue is real and it's fair. And this is a real anathema to that. And I would say like to the parents who say it's like we're giving them their vegetables and they don't even know, like actually we're helping them master their vegetables and they are choosing which vegetables they like and we're helping them enjoy their vegetables. (laughs) And it's like, there's this idea of like, enjoying other people in your own way as the kind of core goal in a sense. And, you know, we called it critical core, I called it critical core because I wanted to be a bit tongue in cheek about the concept of core deficits that uh, Baron Cohen um, talked about a lot with autism. And actually here we've got people who really want to connect with other people, but they need their communication style honored and and it needs to be fun and we need to stop treating them like something to be changed. And you know, that that core piece for us is here's a space where you can figure out how you can enjoy other people who you want to enjoy um, and, and experience that sense of mastery.
0: Which is fabulous because they've only ever been told who they should be their whole life instead of Mm -hmm. being given that opportunity to develop it. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for this podcast. I'm so glad we finally had a chance to get together and do it. Um, For people that are interested in this, do check out gametogrow.org. Uh, and I will put the Critical Core Kickstarter page link and some YouTube videos and everything i found about Critical Core online in the blog post at affectautism.com. Thank you, Virginia. Thank you, Adam Johns. Thank you, Adam Davis. Um, I, I hope that you get tons of orders from people listening to this podcast. And uh, it, it's wonderful to hear. And I'm going to get on to my husband to uh, get some critical core <laughs> groups going at his store now that they're starting to open up in-person events again.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited it. to hear what your first play experience is like when when he finally ropes you into playing. <laughs> yes,
0: I I'm a little scared, but I I definitely got to do it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: I, I think
0: it.
1: you'll <laughs> like it, Daria. Thank you so much for having us.
3: Yeah, thank Thanks
0: you so a lot, much. guys. Hi, I'm Daria Brown and I hope you're enjoying the podcasts at Affect Autism. Did you know you can get bonuses by becoming a member for as little as $5 US per month? Check it out at patreon.com slash Thank you for your show of appreciation. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through playful interactions.